uh, page 13. That's where we're going to be, be camping out. And, uh, and the really cool thing, here's a little, if you like a shortcut, here's a shortcut for you. Uh, you can summarize uh, this entire book in just eight words in a remarkably accurate way. Okay, and, and these are, are the eight words that you can, uh, you can summarize this in an accurate way. God's people, in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. That's really what the Bible is all about. That is God's big plan for his world and his people. In the beginning, that's what God created. Creation culminates uh, in, in, this, in the pure beauty of the holiness of the seventh day which is God's people in his good place enjoying the blessing of God's life. And the golden thread that kind of holds these three aspects together, God's people in God's place enjoying his God's blessing, is God's presence with his people. That's what's laced throughout that promise. It is God with us that makes us his people. It is his place. That's where he is. And the blessing that we have in him is actually his life. And it's a life lived with God. That, that was what God set up in the beginning, but that was what was lost as people rejected God and relationship with him. So, so we went from being God's people to no longer God's people. We were cast out from God's place and sent out into the, uh, into the earth and, and no longer experiencing the blessing of life as God intended it. Instead, we experienced the curse of sin in the world. As if on point. That's, that's, that's a moment of, uh, of uh, pure uh, curse. <laughs> Can it go up even further? Oh, that's fine. So I'll go with that. Thank you, mate. That's okay. Uh, and, and so, so that, that, that moment happens. I can kneel down. <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Okay. Here we go. Let's get this right. There you go. Thank you, mate. Perfect. That moment happens. It's all lost. And the rest of the Bible story is about a recovery, which I'm in a recovery phase right now, aren't I? Um, the rest of the Bible story is about the promise and then the delivery of, of this all being restored. And so the future hope for us, the future hope for Christians, if you're looking into Christianity, this is a hope that was offered out to you, is to once again have the experience of being God's people, his perfected uh, people free uh, of sin to be in God's place, his renewed creation, and to enjoy the blessing and the life of God for all eternity. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. Now, now I start here because in, in this passage in Genesis 12, I think this is the clearest place that the promise of these things is explicitly made in the Bible. And this is a really significant, these nine verses that Ben read are really significant kind of moment of the Bible story, probably in, I guess, definitely in the top 10. And so if we're not familiar with this, then we really kind of aren't going to get our heads uh, around the Bible at all, really. Uh, and as, as Becky said, this is the start of the life story of, of a guy called Abraham. And he's known as the father of faith. And we'll be following his, his life story through until, uh, pretty much until August uh, on Sundays. And we'll be talking about it in Gospel Families as, as, as we go through and we pick up lessons from, from the life of this man. On, on, on the life of faith. Now, we're in Genesis 12, and that means there's been Genesis 1 to 11 before. Really, Genesis 12 is start of chapter 2 of the story of God and the world and us. Genesis 1 to 11 is, if you like, chapter 1. 
And what we get in Genesis 1 to 11 is a brief overview of the primeval history of the world according to the Bible. Now, about five years ago, we preached through that um, here at the Gate Church in, in 2018. And so um, our sermons are on the website. And if you want to get a kind of a bit of the backstory to what we're doing now, jump on the website at uh, thegatechurch.co.uk forward slash Genesis, and you will be able to pick up um, the sermons there and kind of get the backstory of what, what's come before uh, we're looking at now. But as we, as we get to, uh, into the story of Abraham and get to know uh, his life and these promises of God today, the thing that I'm encouraged by as I've looked at this is how unimpressive Abraham is. And yet how these great promises of God go to work right away in transforming his whole approach to life. It's a remarkable thing. And it doesn't look super impressive on the ground, but the life of faith delivers in the end does deliver in the end. And so there's two main things that we're going to pick out from, from the, the, these verses today. And the first one is this, God's plan to bless the world through Abraham, mainly in verses 1 to 3. But before we dive in there, we do need to just realize where we are at briefly in the story of God and the world, as told in Genesis 1 to 11, because it introduces us to the beginnings of life and of the world. And, and let me just say this, the beginning of the Bible is less concerned with dates and scientific facts and stuff like that about how the world came to be and whatever else. But it's laying the foundations of how we're to live in the world. How we're to interpret the world and life in it as we experience it. And so Genesis 1-11 to is firstly a story of, as I've said, God's blueprint out of his great love for us and for the world that he made. He wants to establish uh, his place of his blessing for people. And then all of that being surrendered and lost by us as we rejected not only God's plans for us, but we rejected God himself. And then what unfolds in Genesis 1 to 11 is just really frustrating, actually, as the story unfolds. It's the outworkings of that fractured relationship with God going to work in our relationships with one another and in our relationship with the world and creation at large and just everything basically falling apart and just falling into dis disarray and, and into despair. As the world unravels, you see it in Adam and Eve, you see it in Cain and Abel, you see it in, in death's incursion against life through generation, through generation, through generation. You see it in the moral evil of, of Noah's day and the destruction of the flood. And finally, in Genesis 11, you see it in the pride of humanity as we, we rise up and want to make ourselves great and we think we have no place or no need for God. And so that's where we pick up the story here. That's what's going on in the world at large. The world seems to be in a real mess. At the end of chapter 11, people are spreading out across the earth and cultures and countries and, uh, and nations are being established. But rather than people being God's people in his place, enjoying his blessing, as people scatter, what they take with them is brokenness and sin and destruction and pain and death. And so it's just a terrible place to be. And that could be the dark and end uh, and sad ending to the story. And yet all the way through, there has been in, in Genesis 1 through 11, these little glimmers of grace, these little pinpricks of light that shine through and hold out the hope. Maybe God's not quite done with us yet. Maybe he's not quite done with us yet. And so Genesis 12, chapter 2 of the story of God, the world and us. It starts with this man, Abraham. Now, the thing we need to see about him, the main thing we need to see is there is nothing special about this guy at all. 
He's just like everyone else around him. In fact, he's, he's neck deep in his idol worship that started at Babel. And as the people scattered out across the world, uh, their lives were set on ignoring God and doing life their way and making up their own morality and their all beliefs got all mixed up. And so they started worshiping many different gods. And in particular in that day, they'd worship things like the, the sun and the moon and the stars and, and other parts uh, of nature. And so Abraham lived in this, where this kind of um, red dot is here. In um, uh, this, this is working. There you go, there. Um, in, in a place called Ur Chaldea, which was ancient Babylon at another time in history. Today, it's basically modern-day Iraq. And he lived there. And Ur was this large city. It was highly advanced in the arts and the sciences and culture. And it had, I think, at the middle of the city, or certainly prominent in it, this massive kind of temple, this shrine to the moon god. I think, I don't know how you pronounce this, but it's basically Nana like someone's grand, <laughs> Nana, the moon god, um, with this shrine on the top of this, this massive uh, pyramid temple thing. And actually, 100 years ago, archaeologists excavated Ur, and, uh, and what they discovered was really quite horrific. You see, when we replace the true and living God at the center of lives, and we put other things there, there's just all manner of evils that unfold. And what the archaeologists discovered is that they had this burial ritual where when the queen died, there were uh, 73 people who were basically richly kind of slaughtered around her and buried with her. Imagine if that happened, you know, here last year when, our, when, when our, our late queen passed away. And that kind of, that was what was going on in that culture and in that time. And, and in Joshua 24, it tells us Abraham was very, Abraham was very uh, much immersed in his hometown and in his culture. And he worshipped the gods of, uh, and of his culture. This isn't like a good guy. This isn't a good egg looking out for God. And God's like, yeah, I can use that guy. He's a good one amongst a bad lot. This is not a man of faith in any way, really. He's immersed in the godless culture and the practices of his day. And what's really assuring is that to him and through him, God's about to start to deliver something incredible in the world. Something for the mess of this world that we, we have made. And that's what happens in, in verse 1 of 12. Uh, it, it starts this. The Lord said to Abraham. You know, if we'd been, if we'd kind of continued our series, we don't have a five-year gap, we'd just key in straight away because the story of the entire cosmos started, doesn't it, with God speaking, his mighty and powerful voice speaking all that is into existence. And here this same voice speaks again. This is the start of a new chapter in human history, this time not creating stuff, not creating everything that it is, but this time creating a people for himself. And he calls out Abraham and he calls to him. And he makes these promises to him that follow in verses 2 and 3. And we're going to come back to the call in a moment. For now, we're going to zoom in on these promises that God makes to Abraham. And basically, the promise is this. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. Now listen, this isn't just a personal promise for Abraham, but this is the defining promise of God's plans and purposes for his people in the world. This is still being worked out today. This is a promise that we can get to grips with today. God is still committed to this project. He insists God does on blessing a world and offering blessing to a world that mocks and defies and rejects him, even still. You see, this is something that God does God speaks, and five times God says, I will, I will, 
I will. Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. Abraham, I will bless you. Abraham, I'll make your name great. Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. Abraham, I will give you this land. The basis of the whole thing is not Abraham grasping after it. It's not Abraham owning it. It's not him standing out in his generation or being his generation being a world-changing generation. It's not him having a vision or the power for a better world. No, it is God every time. The promise of God. Abraham, I'm going to deliver on this. I'm going to deliver on this. You might feel personally that you have fallen way beyond the potential for God to bless you or to turn your life from curse into blessing. You may feel like your life situation is just too far gone to ever be brought back. You, you may think that this is just too much of a mess, this situation that's gone on in my life, that there's no way God could bring any good out of this. There's no way that God could restore what sin has destroyed and taken from me. But don't be so sure. God comes in grace and he comes to bless by his word of promise. And he comes to do that into situations and to people who have made a right mess and who are in a right mess. I will do this. I'll take care of it. And these promises that God makes, they're so full and they're so full of life. It, the, the summary of, of it is the word bless. I mean, it's, it's written right throughout, isn't it? Again, five times that, that word appears. And, and we use this word bless so flippantly, so often. You know, someone sneezes, we just say bless you, like a throwaway kind of, you know, I don't know. I hope, it, I hope it's okay. But actually, this is a profound and a deep reality. To be blessed is to have, um, to have God's favor and approval. It's, it's to have this deep and abiding sense that, that all is well with me in the world. Life is good for me. My situation is a good one. It's going to be okay. I'm blessed. And it's repeated five times, but actually there's seven sides to the blessing that is unfolded here. And, and seven in the Bible is this picture of fullness and, and, and yeah, just kind of just overflowing fullness and, and perfection in the blessing that God offers. And it's beautifully weaved together as, as we see his promises of God's people in his place, enjoying his blessing with that golden thread of God's presence. Tying it all together. Let me just read the blessing to you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And in verse 7, God adds, to your offspring, I will give this land. Listen, it is only in knowing the God who made you and the God who loves you that these promised blessings come to their fulfillment. You can't, you can't grab hold of this stuff or have this stuff or own this stuff without knowing God, without coming to him in faith. Now, in fact, that's the great, I think that's the great project of our culture. We're trying to have all of the blessings and the life and the morality and the ethics and the goodness of God without him. I can tell you it's not working, it's falling apart. But listen, it's okay because it's okay that you need to have God to have these blessings because this blessing is not just for Abraham. 
This is something that comes through him and is actually offered to all people. Abraham is, is blessed to be a blessing. You see, all of this promise of this great blessing, do you see where it culminates? So at the end of verse 3, it culminates in the end that all peoples on earth are blessed by God through Abraham. That's the apex of God's plan is that all peoples on earth receive and experience this blessing. And, you know, so often we think that the God of the Bible is very like, very parochial, he's very picky, and he has his ins and his outs, and he's very focused and small-minded in his, in his um, kind of narrow interests. And, and you might think, why does he choose Abraham and not some other people we're going to see, like Abimelech or Arioch, who are around at this time? Why does he choose ancient Israel and not ancient Egypt? Why, why has he chosen me and, and, and not my sister or, or, or whatever else we think are oh, so exclusive and, and unfair? But that's the complete opposite to what's going on. This is totally and utterly expansive. God wants to bless people from all nations, from all peoples on earth, and all through history. And he starts here with one man. Abraham is is the funnel through whom God's blessing is going to come to the whole world. But the end game here, is what God has always been seeking, this, this big, wide world filled with many different people from all across the earth and all the nations of earth, right and right down history, enjoying the life and the blessing of God. And that kind of life and blessing comes to us through one man. Now, we have, we'll see in a moment, we have to get in on this through faith. It doesn't just come to everyone, all people who have been created automatically. We have to believe it to receive it. And that's what we see in, in Abraham. Now, here's the spoiler alert. We're, it's going to ruin the rest of the series. But <laughs> Abraham doesn't get all of this delivered in, his, in the fullness in his lifetime. It doesn't, it doesn't actually all happen for him. But, but that's why the reading, for the second reading was really helpful from Hebrews 11 that, that Ben gave. Because it tells us that he wasn't expecting to get it all in his lifetime. That tells us that Abraham was looking further forward by faith, beyond his own blood and flesh family. He was looking beyond the piece of Middle Eastern real estate that God was promising to his people at that time. He was looking beyond even the the experience of the blessing of God in life, in the here and now, in this moment. He lived and he died looking forward to all of this being fully and finally delivered on. To these promises of God being answered in eternity. And that's where we find ourselves in a similar situation to Abraham, Abraham as well. God still holds out these promises to us of blessing and life. He offers them out to all people in the world today. And it's an invite to be the people of God in the place of God, enjoying the blessing of God. And he offers that to us through one man. The one through whom all the blessing and all the life of God comes to the world. And it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham, the true one who is in his family, the Jews, who lived a perfect life under God's blessing and was uh, what lived as the perfect people of God. In fact, at that point, people was person, the only one, but representing the people of God, who lived in the power and the presence of God's spirit. And he brings the life of God to the world and to people who desperately need it, like you and me. 
And in his death on the cross, Jesus paid the price that was needed to bring this blessing and this life of God back to a world that had rejected him and turned away from it and lost it. And through Jesus, even today, God in his grace offers us an open hand, an open chance to take hold of the life that you have been made for. Life as it is meant to be lived, even to a world that mocks and and defies and rejects him. In Jesus today, is the day of salvation. He offers an open hand and says, come and receive what you were made for. Come and receive the life that you're made to live. Be my son, be my daughter. Live in my place, which just now is the church. In the future, it's going to be the whole world. And enjoy and receive and experience the blessing of life as I have intended it. If only we will take hold of that by faith. If only we'll take hold of it by faith and believe the word of God. And that's the second thing that we need to see. That's God's plan. This is Abram's response. Don't you ever felt a little foolish living your life based on the promises of God in Jesus when it's not all totally here yet. I don't even ever felt like you're just not sure if that's the best or the right way to live, maybe even wrestling with that this morning. Well, listen, Abraham had his doubts along the way. We will certainly see that. And I'm pretty sure he felt a fool more than once. And if not, he ought to have done. But for all of his struggles and faults, which are many, The reason he's known as the father of faith is because he does have the faith to go when God calls. He responds here in obedience. And as he goes, he worships and he's a witness of God to others. So his faith is by far from perfect, but it is real and it is genuine. He heads out on on this massive journey uh, in response to God's call. This is like 800 miles by foot. I mean, that's that's quite something, isn't it? And he does that following an unseen God to an unknown destination simply on the promise of his words. This is is the journey uh, that he went on. This is is Ur down here, uh, and this is where he ends up in Canaan. And he kind of goes up here to a place called Haran. Uh, and then comes back down, and, and that's the 800 miles. And actually, when we pick up the story here in chapter 12, he is halfway on his journey. He's at the top there, um, and, uh, and he's in verse 4 here, he then does the down loop and heads off on the second leg to arrive in Canaan. Now, do you see in verse 1, it's just worth noting this, that it says, the Lord had said... Because this is kind of picking up the story when he's in Haran and then he comes down to Canaan. The Lord had said, the call of God came to Abraham when, Abraham when he was in Ur. And so we, at the end of chapter 11, we see that he leaves Ur with his family, with his wife, Sarai, with his dad, Terah, and his nephew, Lot, whose dad has died. And they head toward Canaan, but they stop at Haran on the way. And we don't really know why, why, why they stop there, but they do. Anyway, what happens is once Terah, his dad, dies, Abraham continues the journey onto Canaan, as the Lord told him. Now, here's the thing. That's, that's a big journey. It's a long way. There's a lot that happens. His dad dies on the way. You know, it's, it's not an insignificant thing. Abraham started that journey and saw it through 
all on the promise of God without any, if you like, down payment, without any deposit. He just had God's word. And he just went believing God's word and God's promise. In fact, he had to let go of a whole load of stuff before he could take hold of what was promised. Do you see that in verse 1? There's three levels of loss for Abraham. He used to leave his country, his people, and his father's household. That's his people, his family and friends. That's his place, his home, the country he grew up in. That's a situation of blessing. His home culture, his family life, by all accounts, Abraham was doing pretty well. He was successful. He was rich. He was prosperous. He lets go of people, place, and blessing on the promise of the word of God. Because he believe, believes that God would deliver and be true to his words. He lets go of those things. He goes on a, a difficult and costly journey through life. And the thing that I love probably spoiled already, is how God's promise delivers on all those three things in superabundance. Every time Abraham's letting go of something, leaving something behind, giving something up, God's like, I'm just going to pour so much more into you on this stuff. God's people in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. Give up the small things you've got of that, Abraham, and you'll, you'll see what I'll do for you. You'll see. And so by faith, Abraham went. He went where he was called, knowing that what was an offering from God was better than he could get hold of himself in his own life. And so he lived like a fool with faith in God. It's the same for us too, guys. Often we've got to let go of some things out of obedience to God so we can grab hold of the promises of God with both hands. Maybe it's the hope of a certain lifestyle. Maybe it's a certain desire that lives deep within us. Maybe it's a whole area of life or a pattern of behavior that's just become normal to us, but we know isn't right and good, but we just don't want to let go. Uh, and sometimes these can be good things that need to be set aside, but we need to let go before we can take hold of what God has for us and is offering to us the better things that he has. And that's what the path of obedience might look like. And then in verse 5, Abraham arrives in, in Canaan. And what he does is as he arrives in this land, he travels through the land. And effectively, this is the first ever missionary journey in all of history. Because he goes and he seeks to establish the worship of the true and living God in a place where all these other gods are worshipped. So the first thing that's obvious to, Canaan as he, uh, to, to Abraham as he travels around Canaan is that it's just like Ur. It's full of the worship of other gods. He arrives at this great tree uh, of Moret at Shechem. This is a shrine of, of Canaanite worship. It's, it was known as like a holy teacher tree. And, and the thinking was is that the, the rustling of these holy leaves revealed these spiritual truths to people. So these pilgrims kind of flock there to get this revelation from this holy tree. In Bethel, where also he goes, there's a sanctuary to another Canaanite god. But as, as, as Abraham travels around in verse 7, the Lord appears to Abraham in this place and he confirms his promise again. This is the place, Abraham, where God's people are going to live and enjoy my blessing. So if the first half of, this, of this, this passage we're in today is all about God speaking his blessing, this second half is all about the Lord appearing in 
Canaan, God revealing himself in a place where people are living for all sorts of other things and all sorts of other gods. And God appears in Canaan, firstly to Abraham, but then also to the others around as Abraham worships and witnesses. What Abraham does, this is like, he's a proper lad, it's quite cheeky. He, he goes through the land and all of these places where there's these shrines, where there's these holy places, where people are worshipping these other gods. Abraham goes and builds an altar, a place of worship to the true and living God and offers a sacrifice to God there, right next to these shrines and these holy places. From Shechem to Bethel to Negev, he goes from the north to the south and he builds altars and offers sacrifices to the true and living God. He's making God famous in this land. He's, he's reclaiming the worship of God in that place among a people worshipping all kinds of other things. Now listen, that's what mission is. That's what church planting is about today. A, a, a pastor over in the States has this little line. He says, um, it's called John Piper. He says, missions exist because worship doesn't. There's a call to go to the world because people are not worshipping the true and living God. And reaching out to people on any kind of Christian mission is simply inviting them away from worshipping other things as God and living for other things as their ultimate into the worship of the true and living God. That's what Abraham does around Canaan as he travels through the lands. In fact, what we need to see is that worship of God itself is an integral part of mission. It, it, it is a witness to people looking on as the people of God worship God publicly in front of them. It invites them back to what they were made for. It invites them in to enjoy and know and worship the God who made them and loves them. And so Abraham's witness emerges from his, uh, um, from his worship. At Bethel, we're told that he calls on the name of the Lord. A helpful way to say it is he proclaims the name of the Lord. It's not just like a private prayer or, or something like that, but this is a public proclamation of God's name and God's character and who God is. This is Abraham saying publicly in the middle of this land and this place where there's all kinds of people living for and worshiping all kinds of other things. This is Abraham saying, this is how great God is. This is who he is. This is the God who is real and who is there. See, Abraham realizes that his own personal story is that he's been brought out of living for false gods, which are really not gods at all. And he's been brought into this radical and this expansive new experience of knowing and living for and worshiping the true and living God of the Bible who is real. And so he proclaims this greatness to others around. People are living for all kinds of other things. Now, can I say, this is why the need to plant churches across our city and across our country today is still so pressing. In this very city, there are hundreds of communities filled with thousands of people who are living for all sorts of other things as their God, and they do not have local expressions of churches or Christians publicly worshipping in their midst. They don't have the people of God living their lives amongst them, uh, on, on display to them, living the foolish and, and sometimes weak life of faith, but proclaiming to them and showing them in ways that are accessible and easy for them to get to and, and hear and understand the greatness of God, the God who made them and what he calls them into and the blessing that he offers to them in life with him. 
There is just such a need for that today. And so people around us and people in our city today do not realize that into the mess of the world that they find themselves in, into the mess of the culture and the society, into the personal mess of their lives and the pain and and the wrongs and the sins and the guilt and the shame and everything that they carry, there is grace for us and for them. There is grace from the God who made them, who loves them. There's a promise of blessing held out to them in Jesus. That they could be God's people in his place and enjoying the blessing of his life forevermore. And they don't realize that that is on offer to them now. And that we can experience that in the here and now in this life as we live by faith, but also one that fully pays out in the end, in all the glorious fullness of eternal life to come. God still has this great plan to bless all the peoples of the world. Will we personally open our hands to receive that blessing? Maybe there's some here today who need to do that for the first time. Open your hands and your heart to receive what God offers to you in Jesus. And if we do and if we have, will we allow ourselves to be funnels through whom that blessing flows from us, through us, to people around us? This this series, we've called... We've called it the faith of the faithless. There's a deliberately kind of, I don't know, ironic play on words, I guess. This, this is where it all starts for Abraham. And so far, so good. He's responded well. But as I've said, there's going to be many ups and downs to come in, in his life and in his story of faith. What we're going to see over and over again is Abraham will mess up in one way or another. He will consistently do that. And what we'll see is God will time and time again repeat his promises. He'll time and time again repeat his promise of blessing and his faithfulness and his goodness. He will extend his grace. He'll be patient. His loving favor will continue. And God's plans and purposes in the life of Abraham will win out in the end and will be worked out in the end. That's really reassuring for me. It's really reassuring. So often Abraham is faithless. And yet through it all, he has a faithful God. And there there is a real faith in Abraham for all of his faults and and failings. And so he does trust in him and it keeps him to the end. That's true for us. That's true for you today. However you're feeling on the faith to faithless spectrum, God is super abundant. God is lavish in his goodness and in his kindness. And so let your hearts be captivated by that afresh today. And then go another day in faith, stumbling forward, trusting that he will bless as he has promised, that he will achieve his purposes and that he will be good to his word. Let let me pray for us and then we'll, we'll sing together. Lord, as the the creator of life, as as the God who spoke all things that are into existence, as we we have read and heard 
your word today? Would it speak life to us? New life into souls that have need to be raised from the dead. Fresh life into souls that are weary or wounded or doubting or unsure or just need encouragement. Holy Spirit, you know what each of us needs. Please, with this word of yours, take root in our heart and bear the fruit and the life and the blessing that you have intended for it. Amen.